upon his name shall be saved by his grace is Jesus the Messiah his sacrifice gave us life life in full if for him is Jesus the Messiah forever he'll reign yes forever he's king forever we'll praise him forever we'll sing he's Jesus the Savior Jesus the healer Jesus the King of Kings forever and ever amen he's Jesus the Savior Jesus the healer Jesus the King of Kings forever and ever And it's my joy to welcome you all to service this morning. Lovely to see you all. And I know that we're in for a good time as we fellowship with the Holy Spirit and with one another. Psalm 95 says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is great, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, his flock under his care. Isn't that amazing? So come, let us shout for joy to the Lord. Sing for joy to the Lord. Let us kneel down in worship. Kneel before the Lord, our maker. Let us pray together. Lord, thank you that we can come together this morning in joy. Thank you that we can come and sing for joy and, and shout aloud to the rock of our salvation that we can come and bow down, kneel down in worship before the Lord, our Maker, because you, O oh Lord, you are the one who has taken us as your, your flock, your flock under your care, the people of your pasture. And we want to thank you and bless you for that this morning. Lord, we know that nothing we can do, nothing we have done, earns us any points at all. It's only because of who you are and what you have done for us. And so we come and praise you. We worship you. You who has made everything. You to whom all things are subject. Lord, we come and willingly and wantingly and lovingly and joyfully praise you this morning. The King above all kings. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, it's great to see you, and uh, for some of you, I wish you a very happy new year. For last year, for some of you, but it's great to see some back that we haven't seen for a long time. It's great to have you, and just to assure you that your chairs have been properly sanitized, the carpets have been sanitized, uh, as they will be immediately when you leave. And that reminds me to ask, I'm looking for some men. Uh, I'm going to appeal to the younger men. 
to help us immediately after service because we, we first sanitize all the chairs, then we pack them away, and then we bring out the school again. And it takes Auntie Margaret and normally one other quite a long time, so it's just not fair. So I'm asking some of the younger men or the... Huh? Why just the men is the question. You are certainly your mother's daughter. <laughs> okay, anybody is most welcome to help after service. I, I, I'm just trying to make your lives easier. I mean, this is a, you know. Margaret, you got me into trouble. She asked me to ask for the men. <laughs> Thank you, Alicia. Anybody's welcome to help immediately after service. That will be great. Okay, we got a special birthday today. Da -da 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 -da. Happy birthday, Elder Pragasin. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Pragasin. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Prags. I hope you have a very special, very extraordinary day today and may the Lord continue to show you his favor as he's promised us to do uh, for as many birthdays as he gives you amen amen so have a special day happy new year to you as well <coughs> any other birthdays this uh, this today any other birthdays today this coming week any birthdays when's your birthday 14. When, when is that? It's next Sunday. Make sure you hear we'll sing to you if it's on a Sunday. So happy birthday for next Sunday. I won't wish you next Sunday, but we'll sing to you. <laughs> Any other birthdays this week? Do, 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 do. No other birthdays? Okay, wonderful. Anniversaries? Celebrate some anniversaries? No anniversaries? Do, 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 do. Doom, doom, doom. Okay, well... Don't have any other announcements. It's just great to see you back as we're going to continue for the next while at 9 o'clock. Uh, once again, you don't have to register. It just takes a little bit longer if you don't. So those that do pre-register, thank you for that. I know it takes a little bit of time, but uh, you don't have to, and it's, it's not something to keep you away. The only thing that will keep you away is if we reach our maximum number, uh, then you will get turned away. So there is some advantage to registering because then your place is guaranteed. <laughs> but at this stage, we're still quite safe. There are lots that I haven't wished Happy New Year to. Quite amazing. I see them in the busiest of shops in town. I don't go to the shops, but sometimes I have to pop in somewhere. And you'll see somebody in the busiest of shops, but I haven't had opportunity to wish them Happy New Year in church for two years already. <laughs> anyway, what are those things? Hallelujah! The Lord is the great God, the King above all gods. We're going to bless His name today. We're going to continue our study, our Bible narratives. We're looking at the fourth uh, installment of Moses, and we're going to be talking about the death of the firstborn today. So it's quite a wonderful message to share with you. Amen. <laughs> Thanks, Simeon. Let's go. Let's bless the Lord in song. Let's worship the Lord together. I was in need and I needed a friend I was alone and I needed a hand I was going down 
But someone rescued me My God cares too much to say His mercy's on you every day I get down to pray and help is on its way I was in need and I needed a friend I was alone and I needed a hand and I was going down but someone rescued me my God cares too much to say his mercy's on you every day I get down to pray and help is on its way I walk by faith by faith and not by sight If things go wrong it'll be alright Cause someone greater is watching over me My God cares too much to say His mercy's on you every day I get down to pray and help is on its way Now in faith I believe I've got everything I need I walk by faith and not by what I see I got friends in high places I got someone I can call And I got someone watching over me I was in need and I needed a friend I was alone and I needed a hand down, but someone rescued me. My God cares too much to say, His mercy's on you every day. I get down to pray and help is on its way. I walk by faith and not by sight. If things go wrong, it'll be alright. Someone greater watching over me. God cares too much to say His mercy's on you every day I get down to pray and help is on its way Now in faith I believe I got everything I need I walk by faith and not by what I see I got friends in high places I've got someone I can call And I got someone watching over me One more time, I was in need I was in need and I needed a friend I was alone and I needed a hand I was going down But someone rescued me My God cares too much to say His mercy's on you every day I get down to pray and help is on its way I walk by faith and not by sight If things go wrong it'll be alright Someone greater is watching over me My God cares too much to say His mercy's on you every day I get down to pray and help is on its way My God cares too much to say My God cares too much to say His mercy's on you every day I get down to pray and help is on its way
help is on its way. Amen. As we lift up your name, let your fire fall. Send your wind and your rain on your wings of love. As we lift up your name, let your kingdom come. Have your way in this place. passion and presence bring down your burning desire revival fire fall revival fire fall fall on us here with the power of your spirit father let's revival fire fall revival fire fall With hearts ablaze for Jesus, Father, let revival fire fall. As we lift up, as we lift up your name, let your fire fall. Send your wind and your rain on your wings of Father, let revival fire fall. 
Hallelujah. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty. Oh, blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who reigns forevermore. 
forever, forever and forever. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Won't you be seated? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I was just talking to somebody this week. Uh, um, I was thinking about those words we sang, O oh Lord Most Holy, we adore you. Your love has changed our lives. And I was saying to somebody this week, I just keep thinking I'm going backwards. Do you ever feel like that? Like you're getting worse, you're not getting better. And then we decided it was there all the time. We just covered it up. And God's just busy bringing it out. Because <laughs> it's got to come out. It can't get covered up. Yeah. Hallelujah. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty. If you've got your Bibles, why don't you go to Exodus chapter 12. If you've got your cell phones or your tabs or whatever you've got, please find the Exodus chapter 12. Exodus 12 is perhaps one of the most important chapters of the whole book of Exodus and maybe even in the whole Old Testament because it paints for us a picture of of our human condition and God's plan to save mankind. Exodus 12. What we're going to be doing today is we're going to be taking a couple verses at a time through to I think about verse 14 or so and then I'll be sharing a couple lessons with you. Once again it's a huge it's a huge subject matter and very difficult to, to put it all into one little message. So uh, I'm going to do the best I can with the time that we've got. Just a quick Refresh for those of you who haven't been here or perhaps don't even know the story. The family of Jacob had come down to Egypt from Israel because of the famine and God had directed them down there. Even though he told Abraham tough times were coming. And for a while they enjoyed a huge amount of favor uh, because remember Joseph was elevated to the second highest place in the land and averted uh, an international crisis because he had... Um, What's up, boy? I deleted the file. Sorry. Sorry, I deleted the file. So those following on the screen, you'll just have to wait a little bit. I try so hard with this stuff, but I think I'm still a dinosaur coming into this technological age. It just happens. So. <laughs> anyway, so uh, Joseph had been elevated to the second highest place. He had averted this international famine because, remember, he had stored up the grain. And then eventually his brothers up north had uh, become hungry and eventually came down. The whole family came down. Pharaoh allowed them into an area called Goshen. And in this place of Goshen, uh, the Hebrew folk really, really uh, prospered. Moses himself, uh, you remember that story, how he was saved from certain death because Pharaoh had got quite uh, irritated with the fact that the Hebrews were so strong and so many and were reproducing so prolifically and he gave the, the order that all baby boys must be killed and then he said all baby boys had to be thrown into the river. Moses was put into a into a reed basket that had been tarred, and fortunately he was saved, being brought up in Pharaoh's household. A little bit later, all just background, of course, I'm giving you, Moses goes out. Now he's an Egyptian prince. He's grown up in luxury and education and all good things. Goes out and sees 
<clears throat> Egyptian uh, mistreating a Hebrew, and he kills the Egyptian, buries him in the sand. This comes out. He flees Egypt, goes to a place called Midian, meets up with uh, a man named Jethro, marries one of his daughters, and spends 40 years there. After 40 years of looking after his father-in-law's sheep, God appears to him in that burning bush and calls him to go and rescue or deliver his people from the land of Egypt. Just a bit of background. Last week we had a look at how God used those nine plagues initially, and then we're going to talk about the tenth one today. He used those nine plagues to try and wrest the Hebrews from the grip of Pharaoh, natural disasters. We saw them taking on an increasingly uh, dangerous, difficult form, for example, that started with the water turning to blood. Then it went to frogs and gnats and flies and boils and livestock and uh, livestock death and then hail locusts and eventually darkness. We also saw how God's people were protected in the land of Goshen. Now God promises one last plague. Uh, it's an unusual plague and it's not like any of the others. We know it as Passover or the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, but it could also be called, as I mentioned earlier, the death of the firstborn. How is this plague that we're going to look at this morning different from the others? Well, firstly, judgment covers everyone. Israel needs to believe God and act upon his word to be saved. Israel is not going to be excluded from this tenth plague just because they are Israel, like they were excluded in the other plagues. Secondly, this plague is very discriminatory. There's no massive hail or anything like that. But literally, an angel of death will kill every firstborn male of every human and every animal in the land of Egypt. How many firstborn males here this morning? Any firstborn males? Oh, I'm glad you're still here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So there was this discriminatory plague about to come. Firstborn males will die. Thirdly, there was a specific preparation for this plague. Unlike the other plagues, there was no period of preparation. This plague, there was a specific sequence of events that needed to take place. They had to prepare for the plague. Fourthly, it's different from the other plagues in that to escape death, death had to occur and be appropriated to each family. So to escape death, something, and in, we know that in this case it was a lamb, something had to die in order for them to escape death. And then fifthly, there was warning that came, but Pharaoh had no option to escape this. So if Pharaoh had done anything or said anything, nothing was going to change. This plague would come. Okay, so if you've got your Bibles, look at Exodus now, chapter 12, and we'll look at the first couple of verses. And as I said, I'm just going to read a couple of verses, talk about those verses, and then we'll get to a couple of lessons this morning. So firstly, God takes great pains to give specific instructions. Verse 1 says, and 2, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, remember Aaron was Moses' younger brother and Moses' spokesperson, because Moses had wah, 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 wah in front of God that he was too scared to speak and all the rest of it, and God got angry with him and allowed Aaron to do the speaking. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be... For you the first month, the first month of your year. Now we know that to be the month of Aviv or also the month of Nisan it's called. 
It's, it's the first month uh, in the Hebrew year. It's not their, um, it's their first month in the ecclesiastical year, in their religious year. The first month in the civil year, we know, is later on in the year. And that's the festival of Rosh Hashanah, uh, normally around about September and October. This is round about March and April every year. So it's the first month of the ecclesiastical year. And it's generally the first month of spring as well uh, over that up north in Israel. So we read here this first month of Passover, this beginning of this beautiful and powerful picture of God's plan for salvation. You see, just as God is making it clear this is the first month, it is uh, a clear indication that this is the beginning of something new. This was a starting over for the people of Israel. Just as it is with us when we come to salvation through the Lamb. Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. So God is very specific. This is, this is your first month. A specific recipe now follows if you pick it up in verse 3. He says, Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, again, very specific, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the, the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. This is very specific. So if you've got babies, they're not going to eat much. If you've got kids, they're not going to eat too much. Teenagers are going to eat a lamb by themselves, you know. Those of you who know, have teenagers in your house know what it's like. Adults who are watching their weight might eat less, less than those who aren't interested. So God is very specific. Don't want anything to be wasted. Don't want anybody to go without, but certainly not anything to be wasted. Verse 5. The animals you choose must be your old males without defect. You may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day. So they've got to select them on the 10th day, and they take care of them until the 14th day, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at the same time at twilight. So initially Moses had told Pharaoh that they were going to go out into the wilderness to do the sacrifice. But this has changed. There would now be a sacrifice within, is, within Egypt from amongst their flocks. Just as the sacrifice of Jesus happened for us within this world. If you think about some of the religious uh, theories that there are out there, how many of them actually take place in this world? Real, tangible things. A real man sacrificed on a real day, at a real time, on a real crucifixion stake, you know, and laid in a real tomb. Many religious philosophies and theories, they kind of esoteric experiences with out-of-space people and aliens and all sorts of weird and wonderful and wacky ideas. 
This is very specific. It's to take place within the home, within Egypt. It took place uh, on this earth. Interesting as well to me is that God says that uh, if somebody couldn't afford something, they must, you know, they mustn't ever be excluded. Go to your neighbors. If you've got too much, too many people in your house or too few people in that, make sure that everybody's covered. No one to be excluded for the lack of means. And that's just like with our salvation. The cost was great, but the price is free. Isaiah 55 says, Come, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters you have no money. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without cost. That's the salvation that our Lamb has accomplished for us. The count was also made according to what each person could eat. I thought about the poor vegetarians. They would have lost out. No vegetarians made it through, <laughs> through Passover. Sorry to the vegetarians here today. You either had to partake or you were out. <laughs> eh? Ham is a vegetable. No, chicken's a vegetable, not ham. Ham's a good meat. Salvation through Jesus is always enough. Hebrews tells us that he was made perfect. God's grace is enough to cover all our sins. But there's never any extra left over. You get that? It covers our sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness that we have confessed. There's nothing left over. There's enough for what we need, but there's nothing left over. It's amazing the pictures that we see here. Everyone, okay, the entire lamb had to be eaten, and everyone had to eat their own or have their own. The lamb also in the bit we read was to be without blemish or physical defect. Pictures the lamb of God who was to be without sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we can become the righteousness of God. Are you getting the pictures here with the first Passover? I mean, just about every word we read in the first Passover is fulfilled supernaturally and miraculously in our Passover lamb. Bible says the lamb was to be sl slain at twilight. The sacrifice was to happen at the same time but in each individual household, picturing the fact that Jesus died once for all individuals. However, there's no mass salvation. Everyone had to apply it to their own lives. Exodus now, verse from verse 7 in chapter 12. He says, Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lamb. It had to happen in a specific spot. Don't apply your blood to your house and go and eat lamb somewhere else. You eat lamb in your house and you apply the blood on your house. That same time they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over the fire, head, legs, inner parts. Do not leave any of it till the morning. If some is left till the morning, you must burn it. 
So they are to put the blood around the door to their house. The blood of the Lamb, we know, is applied to our hearts, our inner person, our soul. That blood that gives us new life and escapes us from death. They were to eat it at night, roasted, the entire lamb. You know what roasted mean? It was bride. This was the institute of the first bride ever. <laughs> hey, this was National Bride Day, the original National Bride Day. It had to be roasted. Specifically, they couldn't boil the, the, the meat. Now, the Egyptians were known in those days to boil their meat. And they were also known to eat their meat raw to honor the gods. So God is specific. You don't do anything nearly like the Egyptians do. You bry your meat, you know. Don't boil it. You roast it over a fire is what he says. Now, we don't know necessarily why he, that God told them to do that. Sit in your own house. Don't go and eat in somebody else's house. Roast it. It doesn't matter. If God said it, just obey it. That's the principle. That's the principle of our salvation. It doesn't matter why God said it. If he said, you must be born again, then make sure you are born again. Don't come with your theological poppycock and write 60 million volumes on why baptism saves you. Because baptism doesn't save you. The Bible does not say that. Our salvation is through the Lamb. Now, we understand here from this passage, God's giving some things that we can look at and say, oh, this is like, oh, this is really weird. doesn't matter that it's weird. If he said it, just do it. That's the principle. It was also to be eaten with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Why was that? Well, it was to remind them that God is holy and that... Uh, you know, this bitter herbs was the bitterness of their slavery, the bitterness of their suffering under the hands of that ruthless, last ruthless Pharaoh. It was to remind them to, to uh, you know, that they have been set free from sin. And likewise, the unleavened bread, which signifies uh, sin. Hebrews 2.14 uh, says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. Okay, so we've got this unleavened bread, we've got these bitter herbs, and we've got this lamb that must be roasted. Let's look at verse 11 now. It says, this is how you're to eat it. Gives them another specific instruction. He says, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So they've got specific instructions. In other words, now we know why. That's easy to work out. Because when God said go, they had to go. They had to be dressed and ready to go. They couldn't still be getting dressed when it was time to leave. Okay? So that one we understand. But even if we don't understand, it doesn't matter. If God says that's how you do it, that's how you do it. It's that simple. They need to be ready to go to obey. See, when we come to Christ, there's, in a sense, a finality about it. Luke chapter 9, verse 62, Jesus said, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service, service in the kingdom of God. 
How many people do you personally know who have started off gloriously in the Christian faith and have gone back to their old way? I know of lots of people. How many people have put their hand to the plow and just gone back to doing what they used to do? You can't accept Jesus with the idea that you might stick around in your old state. It's a clean break with the world and with sin. Verse, verse 12, on that same night, that same night that you've done all of these things, these specific things that I've given you to do, I will pass through Egypt and will strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. Like God hadn't already done that in the first nine plagues as we learned last week. But this is like final now. I'm now going to pronounce judgment. Now that might not seem too fair. But if we consider what the, Egypt, what the Israelites, the Hebrew folk, had been through. If you go back a few chapters and read just what they had been through. The punishments that they came upon them. Removing the clay, making them make bricks with straw. All sorts of stuff that went on and on and on and on. They had an horrific time. I mean, this is really just like eye for eye stuff, you know. We'll talk about that a little bit later. He says, I am the Lord, Yahweh. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. The blood is a sign for you. You can see you've put that blood on that house. So it's a sign. It's a tangible sign for you. And then he says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Amazing. God doesn't say when I see you. We sometimes think God says when I see you. We are so clever and so important and so full of doctrine and theology. And we are just so smart that we think God says when I see you, I'll pass over. He doesn't say that. He says when I see the blood. When I see the blood, it isn't anything in us that God finds ever intrinsically good. It's the blood of Jesus alone and His righteousness alone that allows us access to His presence. Verse 14 to 16. Are we going to go to verse 16? I said 14. This is a day you are to commemorate for generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to Yahweh the Lord. A lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. Remember, yeast signifies sin. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh day must be cut off from Israel. Now, our humanistic modern minds think, oh, that's crazy. Why does God say that? Because He's God. He can say anything He wants to say. And if He says it, we just do it. <laughs> Verse 16, On the first day hold a sacred assembly and another one on the seventh day. Do no work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. Just prepare food. <laughs> so God tells them that this thing they are doing will be repeated as a way to remember what God has done year after year after year. 
They are to remember this by commemorating it with a feast, not with a funeral. Sometimes the Passover that we celebrate here on a monthly basis in communion, it's more like a funeral than a feast. <laughs> you get my picture here? This is a festival. This is a feast. He's telling him to celebrate. Tell him not to do any work. Only work you can do is make food. To do what? To celebrate. It's a festival. What are some hallmarks of this feast or festival? Well, he, we, can picture, we can pull those out of the scripture. Number one, there is no yeast. Yeast is symbolic of sin, of flirting with the world. There's to be no yeast. Get rid of the yeast. Get rid of the sin. Stop entertaining it. Stop playing with it. Stop flirting with it. There's to be no work. We can rest in the fact that he has done all the work for us. And we can celebrate this fact for all eternity. Hebrews 4.11 says, Let us make every effort to enter his rest so that no one will fall by following the example of disobedience. What is disobedience? Disobedience is working for our salvation. Oh, if I just baptize, if I just christen, if I just confirm. I know so many people who are so faithful when their babies are born or their grandbabies are born. They make sure those things go and get baptized. And those babies never get taken back to church again for the rest of their lives. Do you know people like that? Hebrews 4 says, make every effort to enter rest. The rest that Jesus has already accomplished on our behalf. And this festival, he tells us to celebrate it forever. To celebrate it forever. This is a God celebration. This is a God-ordained celebration. Passover is a God-ordained celebration. In our modern context, if you like, we talk about communion, the Lord's table. It's Passover. It's a celebration of Passover. To celebrate for how long? Forever. He said it's a lasting ordinance. Now, dear, honest, faithful believers, I challenge you. Find one place in the scripture. <laughs> you know what's coming. Find one place in the scripture where God determines that we as the church should celebrate Christmas. Just find one place in the scripture. Whereas we've got over and over and over and over again, God commanding as a lasting ordinance, the celebration of Passover. No sin, lots of food, lots of festival and feasting. <laughs> and celebrating forever. I need you to see this point. If God said it, we do it. If God has not said it, we do not do it. Not those things that are of spiritual importance. These things that we add to the church, like Easter bunnies. Easter's coming up. Easter is a pagan festival. It is not a God-ordained festival. It is pagan. I mean, when have you ever heard of, an, of a rabbit giving birth to an egg to start with? These Easter bunnies run around, and I mean, that in itself must make you pull your hair out. 
And we lie to our children and we deceive our children about these stupid things and somehow relate them to the gospel. I mean, it's just, it's wickedness. It's wicked. And here we have an ordinance that God has given to be celebrated forever. Hallelujah. Romans 5.17 For if by the trespass of one man, Adam, death reigns through that one man, as long as humans are on this planet, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through this one man, Jesus Christ? What a blessing, our Lamb of God. I see I've got 10 minutes left and I haven't started what I wanted to preach on today. So this is going to be a quick one. I don't know why you keep looking at me and shouting out Christmas, Christmas. Okay, three lessons to learn very quickly. Lesson number one. This passage, this Passover, this, this last plague for the people of Egypt and Israel is a clear look ahead to Christ, our Passover. And I think that's become clear all the way through as I've spoken. Represented by his body in the bread and his blood in the cup. Mark 14 says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. He gave thanks and broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, take it. This is my body. Now they knew exactly what was going on here. They, they, this, is, this is what they'd lived all their life. I mean, here comes Jesus and introduces something that's totally foreign to them. He takes that bread and he says, this is my body. You know, if you haven't got it yet, disciples, this is what's happening. This bread, that Passover bread, that bread that your forefathers ate all those years ago before they left Egypt and the angel of death passed over and the firstborn of every living thing died that didn't have blood over the doorpost. That bread, I am. Can you see the huge significance for those first disciples? This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, offered it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. I mean, there must have been silence like there had never been silence before. What is Jesus saying? How can he be the body? How can he be the blood? Maybe they remembered some of the things that he had spoken to them about before because he had. He had told them how he would have to suffer. They weren't interested in that side of the story at all. I can just imagine that scene. Think about John 1.29 where John, Jesus' cousin, says, Look, the Lamb of God, when he saw Jesus approaching, the Lamb of God, they knew exactly what John would have meant. They probably viewed John as being blasphemous. The Lamb of God was the Passover Lamb. This was the Lamb that, whose blood was used to prevent the angel of death from killing and John says, look, 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amazing that first Passover, how everything Paul uh, looks forward to our Lord Jesus Christ. Then in Revelation, John is wondering, remember who's worthy to open the scroll? I mean, he's in a state because nobody can open that scroll. And then he looks up in Revelation 5, 6, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. That's our Jesus. That's our Passover lamb. Just very quickly, some comparisons between Old Testament Passover, crucifixion of Jesus. Firstly, lamb taken into the house on the 10th of Aviv. Jesus entered the temple on the 10th of Aviv. Lamb was young male without, without blemish. Pilate found no fault or blemish in Christ. The lamb was examined for four days. Jesus was tested for four days by leaders. The lamb was slaughtered on the 14th of Aviv. Jesus was crucified on the 14th of Aviv. The lamb was killed at around 3 o'clock at twilight, the Bible says, between the evenings, if you like. Jesus died at 3 o'clock at the ninth hour, according to Mark's gospel. That first Passover, friends, a clear foreshadowing of our Passover. Second thought this morning, lesson for us to learn is that without faith there is just no grace let me explain that before the theologians crucify me the israelites could not have escaped the plague of the death of the firstborn merely because they were hebrews or israelites all the other plagues they had escaped they had to do something they had to apply the blood there are no automatic christians not by church membership, not by baptism, not by family ties, not by any rite that you perform within the church, not even the guy with the big cap and the big stick says you are a Christian. There is nothing that can be added to what Jesus has done. And you personally need to apply the blood to the doorposts of your own heart. No one can do that for you. I'm about to get so angry, but I'm going to keep calm. Churches that teach otherwise are cesspools of Satan's activity. There are millions of people who have landed in hell and who will still land in hell because they're cheat cheat cheaters. They're cheaters churches. They're cheating churches <laughs> have taught them that there is another way to salvation. Just get christened, just get baptized, just get confirmed, and you're okay for the rest of eternity. I'm telling you, you will spend the rest of eternity in the fires of hell unless you personally apply the blood of the Lamb to the doorpost of your heart. And this isn't scaremonger tactics. This is the Word of God. Don't care how clever you are, preacher. I don't care how clever you are, Pope, or anyone else on the face of this planet. The Bible is clear. There are no automatic Christians. Except a man be born again, he will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Hebrews 11:6 6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please God, because everyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who seek him. Unless we come to Him, you can have hands laid upon you 
every day of your life. You can pray a magic prayer every day of your life, but unless you come to him in faith, you have no chance. Ephesians 2.9 tells us about that faith. It's by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not by, from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so no man can boast. There is no work on this planet that can see the angel of death pass over your life except coming in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting Him. There have been too many sinners' prayers prayed and not enough faith. I'm telling you, without faith, there is no grace. Unless I come to Him in faith, there is no grace that can save me, a sinner bound for eternal separation from God. The third lesson this morning is that although grace is available, judgment is still inevitable. Although grace is available, judgment is still inevitable. I mentioned a little bit earlier, was God unjust in his punishment in Egypt? No. The Egyptians had sentenced, remember they had sentenced the firstborn, the males of the um, Hebrew children to be, to be killed. Many hundreds, thousands, we don't know, were killed by them, by their hand. I mean, the eye for eye was just punishment, uh, if, we, if we just think logically about it. God's judgment for the sin of humanity stretches over this entire world. We are living in an era of grace, but that era will come to an end. And when it comes to an end, judgment is inevitable. Romans 5.12 says, Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sin. Don't care how good you are. Don't care what a wonderful person you are. I don't care how much you give to the church or how much good you do for people out there. I don't care what wonderful, uh, whatever, philanthropic philanthropic organization you belong to. There is nothing that will save your soul except the blood of the Lamb. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. Now, Now, you can argue with that as long as you like. You can disagree with God as much as you like. You can shout and cry and scream and jump up and down. You can become an atheist or an agnostic. You can do whatever you like. I'm telling you what God's word says. The wages of sin is death. Ezekiel 18.4 says, The soul who sins shall die. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. Revelation 20.12 I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne. The books were opened. Then another book was opened which is the book of life. And the dead were judged but by what was written in the books according to what they'd done. Revelation 20.15 carrying on. And if anyone's name was not written in the book of life. He was thrown into the lake of fire. I'm telling you, the modern church teaches a, a, a philosophy of, 
of God's love is so great and so extensive that a loving God will never put people in hell. People will, will speak that from the pulpit. There's some leaders who will speak that and say things like that. They preach a gospel that tastes nice and feels nice and lets me feel, leave church every day feeling wonderful. You know, oh, that was just such a wonderful sermon. Well, if you feel like that every time you leave here, then I'm not doing my job. I'm not saying you need to feel condemned and all the rest of it because there is no condemnation. But if it doesn't make you think, then, then I haven't done what I'm supposed to be doing. Anyone's name was not found in the book of life. He was thrown into the lake of fire. Friends, if we haven't got the word, we've got nothing. So if you want to live your abhorrent lifestyle, you can go and do that, and you can, you can pretend to use the scriptures to justify it, but I'm telling you something, you may not and you cannot, and your name will not be found in the book of life. It's that simple. If the book says you don't do it, you don't do it. If the book says you do it, you do it. And if the book says you need to be saved, you need to be saved. God provided grace to all those who would come under the blood of Lamb, the blood of the Lamb. But judgment remains inevitable for those who don't. His grace is available for a time, and that's now, and then it's too late. So I have to ask you, as we conclude this morning, have you applied the blood of the Lamb to the doorposts of your heart? He stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. And he says, if anyone opens up, I will come in. There is no handle on the outside of that door on which Christ knocks on our hearts. He knocks. He stands on the outside and he knocks. The only one who can allow him to come in is you personally because there is a door handle on the inside of that door to allow him to come in. Have you invited him in to your life? Have you asked him to apply his blood, the blood of the true lamb whom we celebrate? Have you asked him to apply his blood to the doorposts of your heart. Because there is no other means to salvation. The Bible is so wonderfully clear that if we believe in our hearts that God has raised Him from the dead, if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yet to all who received him, John 1.12, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. We have a right to be called children of God where we have believed on the one true Passover lamb, even Jesus Christ, our Lord. Christ is our Passover. Without faith, there is no grace. Although grace is available, judgment is is inevitable. Let us pray together. I want to ask you as, our, as we enter this time of prayer just to do one of two things. Either to ask Jesus to become Lord of your life 
You've heard the word this morning. You've understood the gospel. You know you need a savior. Now will you respond to him? Will you open the door of your heart? Will you invite him to come in? Will you receive him today? Will you tell him you're sorry for your arrogance, your pride, your self-sufficiency, your reliance upon the church and the lies and deception that's come out of the church? Would you ask him to forgive you and to cleanse you? And would you determine in your heart and mind today that he is Lord of your life? So would you do that one thing? If you've already done that one thing, will you do this one thing? Will you celebrate? Would you celebrate with your Passover lamb, for your Passover lamb, in your Passover lamb? Will you thank him? Will you bless him? Will you decide this morning that you're going to have nothing to do with unleavened bread? That sin that you entertain in your life, that sin that lingers, today is the end of that. There is no more of that. Would you remember the bitterness that your Passover lamb went through? Would you just remind yourself of what it cost Jesus in order that you might be free and thank him for it? Would you drink deeply of his blood and eat generously of his body this morning as we celebrate our great salvation? Lord, thank you that this morning, watching on Facebook or YouTube or whatever, and here in this place, we have maybe those who have asked you into their lives, and I pray that there would be people to surround them people to encourage them, people to help them grow. And there will be those who will be celebrating our Passover lamb with new vigor, new energy, new excitement, permanently exalting our lamb, slain from the foundation of this world. Thank you for our great salvation. We bless you in Jesus' name. All God's people say, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining with us today. And especially those who are back. I'm hoping you're back. I'm hoping you didn't feel threatened. And I'm hoping that you're back to stay. It's been lovely to see you again. And hope to see you again next week. Have a special day. And go and celebrate. <laughs> Vegetarians, Lamb-tasting sausage, vegetarian sausage. Mm. <laughs> Look at somebody and say, you're the head and not the tail. You are first and not last. You will lend to many, borrow from none. Blessed as you come, blessed as you go, in Jesus' name. Have a lovely, lovely day. Bye-bye.